Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. We can hardly believe it, but we've made it to our 100th episode. The idea of this podcast came during a whispered conversation Elizabeth and I had at another meeting, and two months later, we were releasing our first episode. So I think the conversation was, Amanda says, Elizabeth, have you ever wanted to host a podcast? I said, yeah, I've thought about it, and next thing you know, we're recording. Yeah, that was back in May of 2018, and we had no idea what we were doing. Not sure we still do. But um, we have become one of the most consistent and most listened to podcasts out of The Ohio State University. So I don't know if that's saying much, but we certainly appreciate each and every one of our listeners and our podcast guests as well. So today for our 100th, we wanted to do something a bit unique. So we've gathered some of our favorite guests that we've relied on frequently over the four years we've been doing this. Oh my gosh, four years. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, first we've got our first ever and most frequent guest, Dr. Aaron Wilson. Welcome. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Amanda. Good to be back. And Dr. Mark Lautz has also contributed significantly as we try to tame weeds across Ohio. So welcome, Mark. Thanks. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. And Barry Ward has helped us out with what has turned out to be one of the most listened to podcasts on rising input costs this past fall. Thanks for joining us today, Barry. Happy to be with you. And last but not least, Jason Hartshue is our jack of all trades. He's been (laughs) on to talk about cover crops, nitrogen, fungicides, harvest, and probably a few other topics. So welcome, Jason. Thanks. Uh, Glad to be here and help everybody out. To start out, let's take a look back at 2018. Um, Refresh your mind if you're like me, you can't remember yesterday, let alone back in 2018. But When we started this podcast, um, what was going on? And as we go through this episode, we want to look at what was happening then, kind of what's been going on since then a lot, obviously, with 2019, 2020, and then where all our guests think we're heading into the future. 2018 was the first e-fields report release, right? Yeah, that first January. Talk about crazy. Um, it's hard to believe that this past winter we just released our fifth anniversary edition. Looking at how much we've grown over those five years is is pretty exciting. Yeah, and that's really been something we've appreciated diving into on the podcast. At least once or twice a year, more bringing on guests who have those reports and looking into them a little bit more. In case you've forgotten, I know farmers don't tend to forget weather, but um, (laughs) what was um, spring like in 2018? Yeah, certainly they don't forget the weather, especially when it's wet all the time. But uh, yeah, that was really the word uh, that year. Uh, 2018 ended up being uh, the third wettest year on record going back to 1895 in Ohio. Uh, The wettest conditions were really concentrated that, that year and that spring across the south and southwest portions of the state. Of course, the Northwest portion had their fair share the following year uh, in 2019. But yeah, 2018 uh, started off wet and that's that's kind of been the theme, you know, wet early to mid spring. And then all of a sudden we get that switch sometime in May. And that's what happened in 2018. It warmed up pretty quick in May and June. And we weren't done with the challenges, obviously. I mean, the summer was okay. And then we were challenged by some pretty wet weather in the fall. So Already, just in the 2018 example, some of some trends that we've seen, obviously, 
for the last four or five years. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty true. Provided some challenges, I think, with weed control. What was going on in the world then of weed control, Mark? Well, I have an article on delayed burn downs and how to do those, and it seems like I can run that about every year now, yeah. but I'm sure I probably ran it that year, which, you know, involves it's wet, you can't get in, you know, what do you do to deal with that? I think on a, on a broader picture, we were like, what, two years into the, the canvas, so we were dealing with those issues. And then I don't think Enlist had taken off yet. We were still waiting for that really to take off, and then everything else was sort of picking up. So uh, we were kind of sitting in that um, that Canva nightmare uh, for a couple of years. Not us so much as some states further west, but yeah. that's what I recall. And I think, for, you know, we're, we're on a trend for water hemp to increase and develop more resistance. And so that's sort of continuous. So we were kind of sitting in the same place than we are now with probably some other resistances identified. Yeah. Yeah, and Jason, you have a pretty good handle on cover crop, hay crop. Do you remember what that was like? I know we had a couple rough years for hay back then. Yeah, 18 or sections of the state that had some challenges due to that wet spring, things getting froze out or flooded out, looking into 19. Um, 19's really vividly rememberable. We lost an awful lot of hay acres there going into 19. Um, think about that cover crop front. Both of those years, there was some challenges of getting those cover crops killed and then figuring out how to plan into those. Uh, and that just continues with the learning curve as we continue to see more cover crops planted across the state. And I guess it seems like we're having more and more of these wet springs. As Mark said, it seems like every year he gets to run the late burn down article. Well, if you can't get your burn down on, you also don't get that cover crop terminated as early as you wanted to. H2 Ohio, was that supposed to roll out right before the pandemic? Yeah, it was supposed to come out there. It got delayed a little bit. So this is the first year really of cover crops that were planted under that H2 Ohio program. As we look back over the last four years, there's been some other programs. There's a hay buffer program uh, and things that have came out from the state of Ohio to look into that water quality, uh, improving that for Lake Erie. Um, and each one of those programs is definitely exciting, but adds new levels of management on the farm and producers looking at different machinery, uh, different operations to try to fit into those programs. And then weather delays always throw the best of intentions right out the window. And Barry, on your side of things, I don't know if anything's changed quite as much as the economic landscape in agriculture has over the last four years. <laughs> Looking yeah. back at 2018, you know, farm income was down. We yeah. were really worried about that. We were seeing a flattening, even a decline in input prices. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been quite a swing over the last few years. We look back at 2018 and I was looking back at our budgets and some of the numbers and in that 2018 and 19, we were looking at uh, sub $4 corn, for example, and soybeans that were regularly trading below $9 a bushel. So uh, drastically different than where we are now, as you know, and, and looking at some of the input costs, fertilizer, for example, I was looking at the numbers and anhydrous ammonia was uh, roughly selling for $500 a ton. And now we're at about $1,500 plus and MAP and DAP and potash, we're all about half of what we are now. So quite a different scenario. And then profitability too during those years was, was lower than what we're expecting this year. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy to see the trade-offs. You know, input prices are high, but so are commodity prices. So I'm curious to see how how these cards are going to unfold this season and what profitability is going to look like and how guys are going to feel. Yeah, a $7 corn is going to cover up a lot of problems with higher input costs if we still maintain that that price through the, through the fall. And $14 plus soybeans, that, that pays for a lot of higher uh, costs. But there's still a lot of concern because it's a lot of outlay. It's a lot of expense and growers are going to have to find the money. And, and largely they have. And we've had pretty significant government payments over the last couple of years due to COVID-related Issues so uh, a pretty decent shape going into this time, but there's still a lot of concerns out there with these higher input costs that aren't really you know done going up. I don't think. <laughs> Come out with the bad news first. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not great. Jason, you kind of alluded to the prevent plant that we went through with that year lining up with when we had a lot of struggle with hay as well. You guys saw lasting changes in. That from that impacting farmers the way that they approach planting cover crop use today. Yeah, there's I think not so much their approach to cover crops. A lot of the cover crop usage is driven by those government programs. Um, there are some adopters that have really adopted that cover crop practice themselves. Uh, but the things we're seeing is the changes in equipment. So guys looking for either bigger sprayers or lighter sprayers so they can get across more acres or get across those acres sooner to put their burn downs on and to terminate those cover crops. Uh, we also see are seeing um, guys when they trade equipment, they're definitely trading into larger equipment so that they can plant on the days that it's fit and get more acres covered, uh, which is mostly a good thing except for when you can plant half your corn in one day and it was the wrong day to pick. Uh, so there are some challenges uh, with that larger equipment able to plant things faster, but those have definitely been some trends we're seeing as guys are looking for ways to get things done faster. Um, there was a lot of replant to go with those prevent plant acres where guys planted uh, and then they had to come back and plant in June because they didn't have a very good stand. And once you plant the first time, you can't take that prevent plant. So it does seem like we're having guys seeing more patience. Guys aren't getting up quite as fast on those cold April soils. Uh, but they definitely, come May, are wanting to be able to cover a lot of acres on that first day that it's fit. I think there's some experimentation with cover crops still on how to terminate, you know, which is based on your soils and your operation. But, you know, I, we scientists are trying to help with this by doing more research on plant green and things like that. So that, I think that's continuing to evolve. Um, but that's, that's uh, there's, I think there's considerable experimentation needed by individual farmers on that for their operation as well as whatever we can tell them because we're only going to tell them about weed control for the most mm -hmm. part and yield from our studies. So I, I would see that's a trend in there. And there definitely seems to be farmers doing more of that self-study, even on planting equipment. Because uh, when it comes to planting green, um, have a lot of farmers that talk about it's a lot easier to plant green than plant into a wet noodle. Um, mm -hmm. But then they also have the challenge of some of our row cleaners and spike closing wheels and things that we really like to no-till turn into balls of cover crop. Um, so looking at those different planter attachments, how they really fit if they're going to have a large cover crop and how to switch, switch those out depending on the growing season. I think it comes with the recognition too the springs are getting wetter. Right? Um, yeah. And that, that, you know, the fact that over the last four years we've only had one good spring season, which was 2021, 
one um, that really speaks to the trends that we've seen over the last 20 years and, and what we're likely to see moving forward. What do you guys think you'll see moving forward? Barry, I'm curious on the inputs. Are there forecasts out of whether they're going to stay high for a significant time, or is there still a lot of unknown, or what's going on in that world? Well, I think we're going to see, generally speaking, I think we're going to see input costs uh, follow crop prices. You know, we've seen correlation there before, and I think that's still in effect. I don't see that changing. Fertilizer in particular, you know, effectively a commodity. We're competing for that globally. And as crop prices stay higher, farmers are going to just continue to use more, or at least the same. So demand-driven, largely. But there's some supply constraints, too, over the last couple of years that have been a problem. And now with the the Russian invasion of Ukraine, that's added some other things. And China is starting to withdraw some exports. So there's a number of things that are going on in that area. Then you add fuel and seed and chem. All of those things are kind of taking their direction from crop prices as well. Some of it's profit taking, you know, from these companies. Uh, some of it's simply just supply and demand issues that are causing these problems. So I think as long as we see seven dollar corn and fourteen dollar soybeans, we're in for probably some added increases here in the next year. I mean, maybe not so much on the fuel side. We're already at five dollar diesel, uh, basically at the farm gate, so that's rough, but. And then we may start to see some of those things uh, ease a little bit, but a lot of the other things, not so much. You know, we're in a really mature chemical use herbicide market. We have a lot of products that are not, that are off patent and a lot of generic manufacturers, a lot of them out of China. So you, you would think we should be in a competitive, you would think prices would come back down, but I, I do agree there's some profit taking probably going on there. Yeah, taking advantage of the situation and uh, the unknowns about supply constraints and some and shipping issues and all the COVID-related things. I think it's allowed people to maybe do more of that than they might normally have done. From the farm gate side, there seems to be, there's still loyalty to companies, but a lot more shopping around, um, not just picking up the phone, calling one place and taking whatever glyphosate price that place has but shopping around between multiple suppliers and trying to find the most reasonable price on chemistries and looking at those off-patent, non-name brand chemistries to try to put together an economical package for the farm. We haven't even talked about farm machinery and all that. Uh, Some of the constraints that the automobile industry is seeing, it's the same thing across uh, farm machinery and equipment, talking to some of the dealers this, uh, this winter and some of the folks that are dealing with parts, those parts guys are they're really having it rough, just sourcing stuff that needs to take that they need for repairs. And they didn't think that they didn't see any real relief in the near term. They thought it was going to continue to be really tight. Yeah, Jason and I were just talking the other day. The used equipment market is insane yeah. right now. You yeah. can go to an auction and spend more on a sixty or seventy year old tractor than what it costs brand new. It's available. Right. It's available <laughs> and there does seem to be more guys that are keeping spares of important equipment around. Uh, you know, a spare tractor that's big enough to pull both the corn and the bean planter, maybe even a spare planter, just they can't afford a down day anymore. And with it going from a down day to a down week when it comes to finding parts and not being able to find a tractor or a combine to rent. Uh, and that's making that used market even tighter and driving up those used prices or people want to 
keep an extra around for that day that they need it so they can just go pull it out of the shed and run. I'm not, for, I'm not sure four years ago we thought there would be things more chaotic than the weather that's <laughs> a lot of other things that introduce that chaos. Yeah, it makes it really hard when you only have a couple days to plant and you have a breakdown. Right. You might not get another window for two weeks. Yeah, and often we talk about the changing weather patterns in terms of compounding the effects, right? And that, that's the thing is that you know when all these other things are stable, then you can deal with the weather here and there. But when weather variability is chaotic and combine it with all of the other chaos in the markets and equipment that Mark, we're seeing more water hemp move in. Certainly we see what's happened out west. Are there new technologies for weed control other than, you know, 2,4-D and dicamba beans? I mean, where do you think that's heading? Because when I hear your presentations, I get a little concerned that we're going to run out of options pretty soon. You know, I think it's interesting because we have great uh, we control technology now. Really, we're sitting in a sweet spot. I think it, you could take it back to the late 90s when, you know, Roundup Ready Beans first came out. So there's a lot of guys that have that available to them. We're doing a great job. I think we've seen our surveys and the surveys you all do for us have shown that, you know, like ragweed and meristail populations are down on the whole. So when you drive around, I think you see more clean fields. You also have guys that don't invest enough or don't manage well enough. So they, they break things sooner. So I, I think our key thing on water hemp, especially for better managers, is you know prevent it if you can and then make sure you adapt to the right program and then you're going to have escapes because it's, it's, it's the nature of that weed and are they resistant and will you start up the curve and start to burn out your options. I think the technology is coming. It's going to be an interesting landscape. I don't know if it's 10 years out or 15 and we've got the seed destructors that are going on combines yeah. which, are, which are pretty effective. You've got um, electrocution units, which you would have to figure out how to use, you know, and tram lines or whatever you're going to do to go out and take care of weed escapes. They're effective, at least to some degree. In terms of a weed seed viability on a weed like water, maybe not as quite as much as the, the seed destroyer. And then we have a whole other avenue, which I think is coming, which is, I, I don't know how or exactly what that's going to look like, but drones and imagery and you know, we focus on escapes. Like, you can back that up into mid-season and say, okay, something like the Blue River technology means I'll be able to reduce my herbicide use. And I'm not not really sure that'll replace sort of a blanket post-emergence application. But certainly for escapes, we have some other technologies coming. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm not sure how we're going to get there. And then you've got issues like, if I can find those weeds with a drone, what can I spray them with in August that works and is legal? So you, it's not an easy... There's not a simple solution there. Certainly you have um, things coming. But, you know, the technology we have now with some good management and some late-season scouting and some willingness to take out water hemp, I think you can make that technology last a long time. Guys, don't rotate. I mean, you know, and for water hemp, it develops metabolism-based resistance. So rotation's only, you know, weed scientists don't really know what recommendation to make for that, honestly. We don't. It's going to happen. Um, so, you know, rotation uh, only helps you so much. And a lot of guys don't rotate anyway. I think the other trend will be you're probably going to see a bean that's got 2,4-D dicamba glucosinate. You're going to see beans that have everything in there, and you'll have that, that choice. We're still sort of wrestling with dicamba, but I think we've kind of figured out guys that do still use that have figured out how to use that that works for them. Mm-hmm. It's probably the best way to say that. I was going to come back to the climate change just for a second because 
we're still not adapting to that. That pattern is we've lost five working days in April and we can't plan. We're not adapting to that well enough in weed management, which is one of our two things. And the adaptation we talk about is putting six dollars worth of herbicide out in the fall so you don't have a nasty burndown situation that gets worse. So that may be something that more people uh, you know, have to really think about. That's up against the fact that we do have those more effective herbicide programs. So they they will deal with it nasty burn-down situation, but in a year when you can't get this product or this one double its cost, that's an expensive burden. So I think there's some adaptation that needs to happen. Yeah, I have a sneaking suspicion you'll be an upcoming guest, just judging by driving around and seeing how far behind people are on <laughs> terminating cover crops and getting burned down done with the wet spring so far this year. Higher rates, more herbicides. <laughs> It appears to be where people are cutting back, whether it's by choice or by Aaron forcing their hand with the weather. You can only cut herbicide programs back so much, even if your costs are up. If you do, it, it just goes to crap. Now, we've learned a lot over the last couple of decades, it seems like, going from, I don't know, it's just astounding to think about how for generations we farmed the same way, and then we've started having herbicide technology and, and you know, Roundup Ready and now we have all these herbicides available and then mechanical control coming into the future. What we learned with Prevent Plant, some of that, of course, gets lost, I guess, with each generation and then the next generation has to experience it. But when we talk about how quickly the world learns things, like every 15 minutes, there's something new that's learned today compared with 100 years ago. It's tremendous and a lot, a lot to take in. Any Closing thoughts? Uh, it could be a good year profit-wise. Profit it's going to you know, be uh, dependent on what we see weather-wise. But right now, if we look at our budgets for this, this upcoming fall for our major commodity crops, it's, uh, it's looking reasonably good, especially if we look at the, the really high input costs that we're having to deal with. So that's one positive. But uh, we, I guess my uh, morning, and I, I'm sure growers are really concerned about this is what happens when corn and soybean prices start to fall. Are we going to be stuck with a, a very uh, sticky kind of uh, cost structure? And then that's typically what happens. So managing now with that thought in mind and with higher rents probably on the horizon too over the next, mm -hmm. well, we've already started to see them increase you know, last year. Yeah. So that's, that's the concern I think everybody is uh, looking for or not looking forward to, but... Uh, you know, that's in the back of their mind for this near term. I don't want to end on a, a negative note, I guess, but uh, at least this year, there's going to be some possibility to uh, uh, pad equity, perhaps, and net worth, but at the same time, concerns about dealing with uh, income taxes. So that's always the negative side of a high profit year. Dealers all have programs to help us with that, Barry. They'll, they'll you know, sell us. You can find Sell it. us that piece of equipment three years in advance, and you can get it three years from now. Yeah, the IRS frowns <laughs> on some of those deals, so, so be careful. <laughs> yeah. But I think a lot of it comes back to Amanda's comment that we learn so much more. You know, you learn can learn something new every fifteen minutes, and all that knowledge is shared through the internet and everything else. And that as we come across all these challenges, you know, you're no longer on an island trying to figure them out. Even if you go back to prevent plant in 2019, or we look forward at the weather challenges, 
look forward at the challenges that come from cover crops um, or even the herbicide issues. There's all kinds of people across the country, across the world, dealing with it at a different time. And we can find some of that information and use it on our own operations to progress forward uh, and try new things or even pull something out that was 60 years old that we had forgotten about. Somebody comes across uh, that can make your operation better. And I think from a weather perspective, I mean, the weather is the weather, obviously, but we know that you know we've seen certain trends that we expect to continue. Wetter springs, heavier rainfall, uh, more intense precipitation. So adapting to those and learning those, how do cover crops fit in that? So obviously we see a lot of movement in, the, in so-called climate-smart agriculture. I think over the next five, ten years, we're going to define what that really means. Right now, it's sort of this ambiguous kind of phrase that we use to say, hey, this is climate smarter, this is not. Well, we really need to quantify how much of a mitigating impact some of these techniques have and the co-benefits, right? Improving soil, water quality, and farm profitability. So I think that that's what we're going to see, I think, as farmers continue to embrace these changes that we're seeing, you know? How much more can we adapt? How much more can we take on and and alter that farm management? Is your positive spin that counteracts berries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for joining us today and in the past and hopefully in the future. Thank you to our listeners. We, Elizabeth and I, started this podcast as another way for you to gain information to improve your operation. So we want to keep keep it viable, keep it real, keep what you need coming through your speakers. So. If you ever want to suggest a topic, give us feedback. We'd love to hear from you on that. Well, here's to 100 more. (laughs) Congratulations. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode. Hey, podcast listeners. Just a reminder to give us a like or subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a review also. We appreciate the comments.